Hey guys, happy Monday. Welcome back to Kindled. Today I have a great interview to share with you that I got to have with Nate Pickowitz, all about R.C. Sproul and the influence that he had on so many people uh, with his life's work and his ministry. You guys, we are coming to the end of this season. I cannot even believe we only have three more episodes left until... I go on summer break and, um, you know, it's been a great season. I'm not going to give some big monologue right now, but I have really enjoyed all the conversations I've gotten to bring to you and all the discussions that those have allowed us to have um, as a community from, you know, everywhere from Instagram to inside the locals community um, to the emails or the messages that I've received. I, I just appreciate you being here. I appreciate you listening. Uh, I don't take it for granted that you have a lot of ways you could spend your time, and I am thankful that you choose to spend an hour here with me every week. Um, If you want to keep hearing from me, feel free to join our subscriber community inside the Locals app at kindledpodcast.locals.com. I will continue to be publishing new content every week there on Fridays, so I will still be active and engaged Um, just more so in that community, probably even more so there than on Instagram over the summer. And, um, I'm just looking forward to the break that will always, it always provides me just the time and space to, um, rest from this work of production, but also to get reinvigorated and inspired for what I will do in the fall. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it and just thank you for being here. That's all. Okay. Uh, That's all that I have for announcements. So here is my conversation with Nate Pickowitz. All right. So today on Kindled, I have Nate Pickowitz joining me. Nate, thank you so much for being here today. Happy to do it. Yeah. I would love before we get started uh, for you to introduce yourself to listeners, tell them who you are and what you do. Sure. I'm a pastor. Uh, I live in New Hampshire. So way up in the Northeast. Uh, I'm married to Jessica, my wife, and we have three, three kids, 11, eight and one years old. Uh, and uh, I pastor, it's essentially was a church plant, uh, nine years ago. Now it's grown beyond that, which is great. Um, and just really thankful to be in ministry. Uh, the Lord has allowed me to do some writing. Uh, I've got a couple of books I've written, including one I'm sure we're going to talk about today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just really enjoying uh, biblical exposition, uh, teaching theology to our church and just trying to, um, to do work to, um, hopefully bring some sort of revival or renewal to a, a pretty dead region up here. Uh, but really, again, thankful to be in ministry in New England. Yeah, that's um, interesting that you mentioned that. I have a friend from New England, and she has said just she was raised Catholic, kind of loosely Catholic, and her mom did convert to Christianity when she was in high school. But she just continues to remark about, and she's now here in Kansas where I am. But remark how there were there were like no churches up there. I mean, and and I I don't know is it still that way. Yeah, so I think it depends on where you are and mm-hmm. what you're looking for. Uh, I think it is challenging. So I, I think culturally, I mean, nothing is really different from other parts of the, of the country, I don't think. Uh, I mean, you know, Christianity is Christianity. Paganism is paganism. But the challenge I think that we have up here is that we're in like the Bible Belt. You know, you can, you can eventually find what you're looking for somewhere. You know, it's within driving distance. You're going to have a smattering of churches that teach false doctrine, but you're going to find some faithful churches. In the Northeast, the churches are just so few and far between that to really find a, a Bible church, a sound church, you're going to have to travel. So mm-hmm. we have p- folks that will travel 45 minutes, an hour. That's not uncommon. Sometimes an hour and a half, sometimes two hours to get to wow. church to come mm-hmm. where we are. 
Um, so that's not, that's not the, you know, the standard, but um, yeah. it's just harder to find sound doctrine uh, just because you just don't have as many churches up here. Mm-hmm. And the ones that are prevalent, the big white churches with the steeple, um, many of them are apostate and it's, mm-hmm. you just won't find sound doctrine there. Wow. Yeah. That's yeah. fascinating. So you are, you have a, you know, a, a big task ahead of you. Um, and I, my pastor actually founded our church here in Kansas about the same time you did, maybe a year ahead of that. And, um, I'm not thinking you would have heard of it, but we're part of the great commission collective. Um, vaguely heard of that. Sure. Okay. Yep. But I actually have a new found appreciation. I've been in expositional churches all my life, actually. Um, although the one that I left two years ago did turn apostate. So, so that can still happen, unfortunately, um, but they drifted. And, uh, but my, my newfound appreciation is I actually just completed the Simeon Trust program mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. to learn how to teach the Bible um, for, you know, getting engaged with women's ministry. And that has really just given me a whole new perspective on what, what people like you do every single week. And it's, it's truly amazing. Um, but it also has revealed to me how, you know, pastors and and others who teach really have such a true and genuine faith because like reading the Bible and studying the Bible makes you love God more. I mean, it does, it just produces a true like passion and zeal for, um, for his word and for truth. And, you know, I've seen that in my own life. So appreciate what, what you guys are doing every week. Yeah. Thank you. I think that, you know, to piggyback on that too, that, you know, it's really hard. I mean, it's possible to go and teach sound and not have it in your heart, but I'll tell you, it is really difficult to be beaten up by the text all week long and then not have that spill over to the church. So, you know, the, the work of the gospel, the work of doctrine has to do its first work in your own heart before you can export that, I think, faithfully to the church. So, um, you know, sometimes I, I was talking to a guy last night in our men's group and he, he was commenting about, you know, something about my sermon on Sunday. And I, I just said, well, you guys are getting off light. Like I get to get beat up all week long, you know, mm-hmm. studying this text out and being and wrestling with God over doctrine. You guys just get the leftovers, you know? Mm-hmm. So I think, I think to be faithful that ha- it has to do its work in you first. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's a very, uh, it's a humbling, I think, experience. It's a sobering experience, but I think it's essential for preachers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's so true. Well, so you, you've written a couple books. Um, well, I don't know, maybe you've written more than I'm aware of, but I know of how to eat your Bible and then your most recent book. Are there more? Sure. Yeah. Uh, just, a, I've, I've written five, a couple oh, of years wow. ago, I wrote a book called reviving new England, it's kind of a manifesto about, uh, about ministry up here. Then I wrote a book called why we're Protestant. It's an exposition of the five solas of the reformation. Um, that's actually being, uh, revised and reprinted by Christian focus. I just signed for them to do that, uh, probably oh, next cool. year. So that'll come out again. And then I co-wrote a book with, uh, Justin Benj called the American Puritans. It's a historical book. And then I did how to eat your Bible. And now I have RC scroll, uh, defender of the For- reformed faith. So, uh, I've been very thankful to be working and writing that's just about every single year. I've got something that's come out. So it's been exciting. Um, so getting into the topic for today with RC Sproul, um, for anyone who has not heard of him, you know, I would imagine most listeners probably have at least heard his name, even if they have not read a book because he was just, his name was everywhere. Right. And he only died recently in 2017. Um, but if you would kind of tell us a little bit about who he was as a man and, uh, 
and set the stage for the conversation we're going to have today, that'd be great. Sure. Yeah. R.C. Sproul. Um, he was born in 1939, died in 2017. Uh, he was kind of, uh, he was hailed by, by some as the greatest modern communicator of reformed theology, hands down. Um, and I, and he was, he was a teacher. He got his degree in philosophy and theology. He's just a, a, a well-learned guy, um, founded Ligonier Ministries. Uh, it became the Ligonier Valley Study Center, then became Ligonier Ministries. Um, did that for, you know, close to 50 years. Uh, and just his whole life was devoted to teaching theology, but not just teaching theology, but trying to popularize the tenets of theology. So, you know, I say in the book that he had a, a John Calvin mind with a Billy Graham reach. That's mm-hmm. essentially R.C. Sproul, but he was such a cogent, clear thinker uh, and was very winsome with his personality. If you, if you listen to him teach or watch him on, on video, he's just so engaging and excitable and passionate and had a smile on his face as he taught, but still, you know, was able to take those really difficult truths and high and lofty truth and bring it down to a way that, that folks like you and I could understand very easily. He would use illustrations and stories and, and things mm-hmm. like that, and just was able to popularize Reformed theology. So uh, in truth, I mean, uh, when I had the chance to study his life and his teaching, uh, I was just blown over uh, by just the, the magnitude and the reach of this man. There's really, there has not been anybody like R.C. Sproul in a long time, and I don't know if there will be ever again. He was mm-hmm. remarkable. Yeah, absolutely. I, I have not seen, um, the full series, but I, I've definitely seen clips of him teaching in front of the chalkboard or the whiteboard. And yeah, Yeah. he just, he, he is, um, someone that definitely brought, like you said, these high and lofty truths down to a a snack size or bite size, not because he diminished them. He just made them digestible for those of us that might not have the depth of knowledge that he does, um, which so many people appreciated about him. Yeah, and I think with theology, too, I think, you know, and you and I've talked just very briefly about theology, but I think sometimes people get intimidated, mm-hmm. uh, especially, you know, folks in the pew. If you don't have degrees behind you, um, people get scared off by doctrine and theology, and it, it seems like it's um, unable to be attained, that it's only for eggheads and smart people. And But no, I mean, R.C.'s uh, big whole, his whole point was that theology is for every Christian. Mm-hmm. He wrote a book toward the end of his life called Everyone is a Theologian, and he, he mm-hmm. distilled systematic theology in this shorter book. But that's the idea that, you know, theology, studying God is for you and me. Mm-hmm. Um, and as we grow as Christians, we have to be able to wrap our arms around these truths because the Bible was given to us. I mean, the Bible wasn't written in, in some heavenly language that's hard to understand. It was, wasn't written as a thousand volumes. Uh, it was written, you know, for us to be able to grapple with who God is and how to understand our salvation. So that was just R.C.'s heartbeat. He wanted people yeah. to know God and know how to be close to God. That was everything he did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I mean, I, you know, I told you a little bit before we hit record that, you know, theology has taken a more profound precedence in my own life because I found myself in my husband and I found ourselves in a church that had drifted from sound doctrine and started out very much, you know, expositing scripture and teaching the word and things were in context, but, um, slowly, you know, as churches do, they kind of start to drift or maybe it's just the leader, it's one leader and they bring in one, you know, doctrine or, or idea or cultural movement. They try and 
scripture plus Jesus plus whatever social justice, this and that, you know, all, there's so many options today really for them to pick from, uh, things that they kind of traffic in. And, um, and all of a sudden we found ourselves in a church that was really not teaching sound doctrine, which is what provoked me to want to start covering more, um, you know, deeper issues, I guess you could say, and deeper truths on this podcast, because I myself saw my own need for them. I saw, you know, this is not just for those who are going to, you know, go to seminary and get a degree or pastor a church. It's for everyone. And, and we all, um, mothers, stay at home moms included. Like, I, I think what is so fascinating about that, you know, that title of everyone's everyone as a theologian is that it's actually true, whether you realize it or not. That, that you do have a theology of suffering or you do have a theology of God, even if you don't think you do, or you've never really right. thought through it, you do have beliefs. You have, you know, um, core foundational things that you believe and that you interpret everything in light of those, that lens, you see the world through some lens. And I think what you're saying and what he was saying and, and what we need to hear today is that it's important that that lens is one that is accurate and clear and true. Yes, absolutely. And I think to your point about, about, you know, even, you know, moms, I mean, my wife stays home with our children and she, you know, does a great job. We homeschool our kids and, and we're just trying to be intentional with training them up. But you know this, I mean, moms get the craziest questions. Uh, you know, you're, you're front and center to these children learning and growing, and they're going to ask you things out of left field. And I'll tell you, moms have to have a theology. They really do. Uh, dads need to have a theology. My kids come to me and, you know, they know I'm a pastor, but they don't care. You know, they, they just yeah. want to know the answers. They, you know, dad, what, what is this all about? Mm-hmm. Well, I better be sharp to know. And I, or if not, I don't know that I need to be able to find it and know mm-hmm. how to get to it and answer children in a way that they can understand. So, so the, the, the challenge of, of teaching theology is taking robust concepts and bringing them to the audience in such a way they can understand. How can you explain justification by faith to a, to a 10 year old kid or a five year old kid. And we have to be able to do that, but that's the challenge. And that again, going back to our topic, that's why RC was so great is because he was able to do that. He never placated anybody. He never diminished anybody or insulted anybody. He he didn't care that you didn't know as much as him. He just Mm -hmm. wanted to give it to you and package it in such a way you could understand it and grow by it. And that, that is, uh, that's admirable. And that's what I think we should be doing as believers for other people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something that I definitely want to learn how to grow in, um, you know, having, cause it, I think first, and you, you said this too, that first it has to impact you, you know, first mm-hmm. it, ha- you have to be changed by it and you can't think or talk about helping others change unless you yourself have been changed. And, um, and, you know, that's just that overflow uh, from, you know, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks, that's, that's where our motivation should be coming from. So, um, getting into his life, you know, obviously we're not going to be able to get into depth on any given aspect, but, um, something that you, uh, discovered in your research was that the five decades of his life reflected, or his adult life, I should say, reflected the five solas, which is interesting. So I, I thought it would be, um, kind of cool for you to walk us through, um, how we see that in, in his life. Yeah. So that was, um, it was one of those kind of moments where I'm thinking, 
you know, could this be, is this possible that this is kind of the general outline? And, mm-hmm. and certainly uh, on some chapter of his, of his life, I really pursued it more thematically, like the, the, art, uh, the, the chapter on Solus Christus. Mm-hmm. You know, he wasn't really engaged in a direct uh, battle over Christology, but it certainly was inherent in the ministry. But the, the big idea, being in public ministry for about five decades, uh, I just heard, I began to notice that every decade of his life, he was involved in some uh, some struggle or some battle for truth. So in the 1970s, he was literally contending for the inerrancy of Scripture. In fact, the uh, the, the Council for Biblical Inerrancy, so ICBI, um, that came about uh, in the, just what we know to be the Chicago Statement on, on Inerrancy. That came about from his work at Ligonier to do the Ligonier Statement, which was the statement preceding the Chicago Statement. And when they came to Chicago and, and every major evangelical leader was part of that and signing that, R.C. was the one who drafted that document and stayed mm-hmm. up half the night drafting that. So he was at front and center of that of that argument. Uh, fast forward to, to the second decade, uh, he wrote his uh, his popular work, The Holiness of God. And then immediately following that, he wrote a book called Chosen by God, and it deals with Reformed theology, but specifically about, on predestination. But the big theme for R.C. is he wanted people to know God. And furthermore, he wanted people to understand that, that we're not saved uh, because we have something savable and we're powering through. It's all about us, victorious living. It was actually about God's grace. God's grace is by that grace he saved us. And so sola gratia, grace alone, became a theme of really the second decade. In the 90s, he's literally fighting for faith alone, uh, sola, sola fide, mm-hmm. uh, evangelicals and Catholics together. Mm-hmm. He's working through that and he's having debates and arguments and fighting and, and writing papers and writing books and really contending for faith alone uh, against a, a movement that was trying to um, shake hands with Roman Catholicism, uh, not in, in matters of public policy, which is a good thing, but in matters of doctrine and saying that mm-hmm. we believe the same gospel. And R.C. was saying, well, no, we don't because of this thing. Uh, the fourth decade, I talked about a little bit about Christology. I really deal with his life as a, a church pastor. He's a teaching pastor at St. Andrews. And really, I mean, setting that, that church experience uh, up against the Roman Catholic Church, who believes that salvation comes through the Mass, and there's things that are added on to that. R.C. was, was shepherding a church through, uh, through sound doctrine and teaching from the pulpit, and really, you know, was teaching and proclaiming Christ alone as the, the, you know, the, the, the sole basis of our faith and not the church and not the sacraments and not, not the mass. Uh, and then really the final decade of his life, he's doing all things for the glory of God, soli Deo Gloria. He's writing, you know, children's books. He's writing hymns and music. He's launching international outreach. Uh, he's founding a, a college and a musical conservatory. I mean, just his, his mind, his life just exploded with activity trying to get this doctrine and this message out to as many people as possible through as many mediums as possible. So again, you know, you can't, you can't argue uh, uh, rigidly that that was the pattern of his life, but you just, Mm -hmm. when you look at RC, I mean, really his whole life embodied the reformation. It embodied what it means to, uh, to be constantly and continuously reforming in your faith. I'm going to interrupt this episode to tell you about our first sponsor of today. And that is a new book from very good creations. The book is called The First Week. The First Week is the beginning of a series of biblical and historical adventures of a young boy named Christian traveling throughout time to witness God's truth unfold. Follow the story of Christian, this five-year-old boy, as he travels back to witness God's creation under the protection of an angel. 
This book is perfect for children ages two to six, but it's good for early readers as well. The book is great because it actually breaks down creation in a way that your child's mind can understand and comprehend, and it will help you answer some of those tough questions about creation. Go to verygoodcreations.com and use the promo code Haley20 to receive 20% off your whole cart at checkout. Verygoodcreations.com and use the promo code Haley20 for 20% off. Yeah, man, that's so cool. Yeah, I love how you brought that all together. Um, and you did that a lot faster than I thought you were. So I have I have a couple of questions I want to dig into. But um, on biblical inerrancy, so I mean, I'm not super familiar with the Chicago statement. Um, sure. What was the debate at the time? Was it like that the Bible is is accurate and it, we should read it, you know, and and trust that what it says it means, or what what was the exact uh, battle there? Yeah. So you know, you have it was an in-house debate with essentially with the evangelicals. And the thing is, it's tricky. And this is what R.C. is really, is really big about when you, when you read him and you study him and you listen to him. R.C. really bristled against what he called studied ambiguity. Studied ambiguity. What does that mean? It means that when you have a, a doctrinal statement or a, a statement of any kind or a book or whatever, an idea, Sometimes it can be written in such a way that it seems like it's good. You know, oh, we believe that, you know, we love Jesus Christ. It's like, that's great. But is there something behind that statement that's ambiguous? And is that statement being written in such a way to encompass more and bring in error through the ambiguity of that Mm -hmm. statement? And I'll tell you, churches and denominations and organizations do it all the time. Mm -hmm. And they leave the door open for error to come in because they're not specific with their language. Mm-hmm. So everybody that was in the debate over uh, the inerrancy of scripture, all the Christians, all the evangelicals that were debating, they all proclaimed that the Bible was the word of God. And they even proclaimed that the Bible was infallible, that the Bible was not, uh, that was not a document that lied. It wasn't, it wasn't uh, giving forth falsehood. It, it was infallible. God was not lying. Um, so it wasn't the issue of the truthfulness of scripture. But what they were saying, what the more the more progressive or more liberal scholars were saying, is that we believe that the Bible, which is the word of God, but the Bible at some points, it errs, it makes mistakes. Um, and it's not intentional. It's not like it's a lie. It's just maybe a date is a little bit off or this sequence is off. Or, and they're poking holes uh, in, in the, the, the Bible and claiming it to be errant at some points. Mm-hmm. But R.C., when he was evaluating this, was saying, and it wasn't just R.C., there's lots of people that were involved in this, but he was saying, look, if you say that the Bible is the word of God, which errs, what you're essentially saying is that God errs. Mm-hmm. It's an attack on the character of God. So people like R.C. Sproul, uh, John MacArthur was part of that, James Boyce, J.I. Packer, uh, lots of these leaders were getting together and saying, no, no, we believe the Bible is without error in the original mm-hmm. manuscripts. And they, they came together for this summit. And uh, 270 something odd uh, church leaders in 1978 uh, met together for a couple of days and then signed this statement, the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy, saying we believe that the Bible is not just the word of God, but as the word of God, it does not err. And Mm -hmm. so there is a trustworthiness of the scriptures. And if the spirit of God inspired the scriptures, he's not going to inspire error. Yeah. Um, and so that was, that was, it was cognitive dissonance in mm-hmm. RC's mind. You know, that's just not right. Yeah. Uh, and so that was really the, the force of the issue is that yes, the Bible is the word of God, but it does not err. It mm-hmm. is always correct. It is always truthful. 
and it is without without error man i mean that's it that's still an issue today i mean we still, still an issue. obviously obviously what you're saying about the study to ambiguity is that the right term yes that is we see the result of that the fruit of that all over the place especially mm-hmm. um, within the progressive christianity movement i mean every single uh you know influential author podcaster speaker teacher whatever is using some sort of doorway like you described. Well, you know, what we know is this, but what we don't, we can't with certainty say this. And they sound so intellectual and it you just sound like they really know and they have the authority to say this and, and make this statement or to introduce some doubt. And it, like you said, it's often very innocent doubt that it sounds innocent where you're like, I guess that's kind of, you know, yeah, maybe it does seem a little crazy to think that, you know, this book written however many long, you know, years ago. And, oh, maybe there was some oral tradition mixed in too. And so there was probably some, some inaccuracies in the document. You know, as soon as you start doing that, you like lose all credibility because how do we know that anything was true? And, and then I just am like, well, we're, we're completely off the rails. It's either completely accurate and true and inspired by God, or it's not. Like you don't get to take 99.9%. It has to be everything and all of it or none of it. And even just as a simple, you know, mom, like someone who's not a theologian in the, in the, you know, academic sense, I don't have a seminary degree and I haven't gone to school for this. I just think of, um, you know, when you were talking, I, I thought really all this is like that, where that comes from is uh, a, a place of arrogance and setting yourself up above the authority of God. It is man trying to establish himself as the ultimate authority because he wants, for some reason, there's some driving motivation that there's like something that he doesn't quite like in God's word that introducing that ambiguity will allow him to get rid of it. And I thought of second Corinthians 10, five, we destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Because I mean, it would be easy for any of us certainly to ask the question and even entertain the idea that, well, you know, I wonder, I wonder if there is, what if someone got something wrong and, and start to go down that road. Right. But that is a thought that I believe we need to take captive and, and, you know, kill honestly, because that's, it's, that is us basically saying, I will be the authority on who God is, what God says. And like, honestly, how dare we? It's the oldest lie in the book. I mean, Genesis chapter three, the, the thing that Satan says to Eve is, did God really say that? You know, mm-hmm. he's, he's questioning the authority of the revealed word of God. You know, well, are you sure that's correct? Maybe yeah. there's a mistake in there somewhere. Well, he didn't really say that. Well, if you eat this, you're not surely going to die. I mean, that, you know, yep. it's an attack on the authority of God. It's an attack on his revealed word. It's a, it's a lie that is as old as Satan. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. it's always been with us. And here's the thing too. Um, a lot of times we can use the same words. Like, for example, you and I were talking earlier about social justice. You say, well, don't you believe in justice? And everybody in the Christian church would say, of course, you believe in justice. Right. And you, well, don't you believe in being treated fairly and equitably? And of course we do. Don't you believe we should love one another? All these buzzwords and buzz phrases. And we all would nod our heads and say, well, of course, that's true. Mm-hmm. But then how those words get defined, how they get applied and how they're appropriated I mean, that's a, that's an issue of a completely different worldview now. Biblical justice versus a, a manufactured social justice that comes from Marxist underpinnings 
That's a very different thing than biblical justice. So even something, and that's where we're getting caught up even right now, so much ambiguity, uh, so many people talking past each other because they are not clear with their terms. That's the issue. And that's where RC was the best. RC did not want to to misspeak. He didn't want to misquote. He wanted to make sure if he's going to make an argument that it's going to be accurate, it was going to be a fair argument. He was going to, he was going to represent his opponent correctly. And he wanted to make sure he took them to task on the argument itself. He didn't attack people. He attacked arguments just like second Corinthians 10, five. Yeah. That's right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's great. Um, have you encountered just as a side side question, have you encountered, um, you know, any pushback from those who were not big fans of RC? I've, I've, I've heard little snippets here and there from people who who don't consider themselves reformed that they're like, Oh, you know, what's the big deal with why did, why does everybody love RC's role so much? Like, like I've heard him described as an attack dog and, you know, other things like, I don't know if that's just a inaccurate, you know, I mean, I know it is inaccurate, Sure, sure. No. um, Have you heard that? that kind of feedback from anyone? I haven't, but I'm sure when the book comes out, I will. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, here's the thing. I mean, you know, we, there, there's always, so I wrote Dustin Benj and I wrote a book on the Puritans uh, and, you know, they, they're the most vilified people in in modern church history, you know, witch Mm -hmm. hunters and, you know, the, you know, puritanical. Puritanical, Yeah. Oh yeah. I've, I've heard it all. So, you know, the bottom line is that, you know, people who, who just attack other believers, especially, and say things that are wrong about them or misrepresent them. I and mean, that's just flat out slander. You know, it's mm-hmm. like, okay, if you want to disagree with the argument, if you want to disagree with something they said, that's fine. Like, you know, not everybody's going to like RC scroll and that's totally fine. But make sure that if you're going to say something that you represent him fairly and accurately, that's mm-hmm. with any believer. I mean, that's, that's just common biblical courtesy to be mm-hmm. truthful about people when you speak. But no, I mean, there wasn't, not everybody, you know, loved RC. They disagree with this theology. They disagree with yeah. certain things about him. And, and that's okay. I mean, this, this book, uh, it's a shorter book. So I would even tell your, your listeners, your viewers, that if they want a more complete uh, story of RC's life, uh, Dr. Stephen Nichols has written uh, RC Sproul, A Life. It was published by Crossway. It came out just, a, a, just last year. Uh, that that's a, a beefier, more um, more full storied uh, view of RC. Uh, Dr. Nichols knew RC personally, and and that's there's nothing better than that book. My book's a little bit different. It's shorter, and it's more specifically about his doctrinal battles. So the goal of of my book is to try to help people think through the key issues, and really to see RC as kind of our our human champion for how to contend earnestly for truth. Um, I think that R.C. fought well with people. Uh, he didn't attack people. He didn't slander them. He didn't do what the things that you're telling me people might do with him. Uh, he wasn't guilty of that. He was always he tried to be kind and he tried to be fair. And mm-hmm. even when he disagreed with people publicly, he never said a mean word about them. He says, look, mm-hmm. you know, I love this person. They're my friend, whatever. But he would attack the issue. Mm-hmm. And I think that's what we have to do. That's where we've lost um, courteous debate and we've lost honest debate in our country is that when you feel like you're losing, you, yeah. you go on the attack and you just slander people. Well, you know, they're, they're just a bigoted, hateful person. It's like, yeah. well, that's not true. Your problem is you just, you can't argue your position mm-hmm. and you don't understand truth. That's your yeah. problem. So uh, I think that RC can help us. He can model for us how to fight fair and how to be, um, how to be clear and accurate and fairly represent our position that he was the best at that. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's really great. Um, another thing you mentioned uh, was the 
movement of evangelicals kind of merging with Catholicism. And that was in, did you say the nineties? Yeah. So there was Catholics together. That's right. So ECT, it was short for, and Mm -hmm. and essentially what that was. And uh, so on the evangelical side, uh, Chuck Colson was kind of the big dog behind that. Uh, J.I. Packer actually jumped on and signed that statement. So many of the men that we would consider to be faithful and, you know, godly and, and Bible centered believers, they were jumping on and they weren't trying to meld the two together. But what they were saying is that because Catholicism and Protestantism have common enemies, you know, so instead of fighting with each other over evangelism and over, you know, territory, let's go after the real issue. Let, you know, let's go after, you know, uh, pornography and, and sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. And let's go out and go after all these other evils. Let's do that together and, and wage a common war. And RC, you know, is, was pretty straightforward about that and says, well, that's fine. You want to go after social evils. We can work, we can be co-belligerents, so, so to speak, with these people. And we can work with them on that front. Mm-hmm. But the problem was when they wrote this document calling for unity, they were treating evangelicals and Catholics together as if they were of the same people of the same gospel. And we were united and we were brothers and sisters Yeah. when, when the real question is, well, how do you understand the gospel? And mm-hmm. if we don't agree on the very core tenets of the gospel, I mean, uh, the council of Trent anathematized justification by faith alone, and they have never repealed that. Mm-hmm. So if that is still unrepealed and that the official position of the Roman Catholic church is to anathematize the gospel, Mm-hmm. Well, then you're not united with, with them. Again, mm-hmm. you can fight alongside them for social causes, but to say that we're one in Christ, that was the issue. And that was what RC was contending for. That battle was basically RC Sproul, James Boyce, John MacArthur, D. James Kennedy. Those guys really stood up and said, well, hang on a second here. You know, there's more going on than what we, what we think. And I'll tell you, in the 90s, I mean, they were they were attacked for that. They were vilified for that. But I think history bears them out that uh, that they were standing on solid ground. They were standing on truth. The next sponsor I want to let you know about is my friend Sue with Plexus products. Now, I've been using these products for about six months to help with my gut health. I'm using their vitamins, their daily adult vitamins, their microbiome, um, their microbiome for kids that helps with gut flora and helping our kids stay healthy, especially in these sick winter and spring months. I'm using their slim packets, which have been really helpful in my weight loss journey. Um, I'm also using their carb blocker now, which I will take if I'm going to have a really carb heavy meal. Uh, I just really enjoy the products that Plexus makes and Sue is offering Kindle listeners 10% off welcome pack orders plus a cute free Plexus water bottle. She's also going to give you some one-on-one coaching to help you reach your health goals, whatever that may be, whether it is getting better sleep, um, helping with anxiety, or maybe if you're on a weight loss journey like I am, whatever it may be, reach out to Sue, ask her what they have that might be helpful to you. um, And maybe like me, you too will be surprised by how much you really enjoy and benefit from Plexus products. Text Sue at... 231-920-5993. Or you can DM her on Instagram at seven in the woods. That is number the number seven in the woods on Instagram. So text her 231-920-5993 or DM her on Insta at seven in the woods. Yeah. I mean, again, I just see, I see that happening today 
as much as it might've been in the nineties, I see, I see lots of movements to, um, and, and lots of people who would like to, um, just kind of, you know, in, in the interest of making headway culturally on, you know, social issues, whether that be, um, you know, not that abortion is a social issue, but abortion being one of them, um, or even, you know, in the last couple of years, the authority of God over the church versus the government, you know, ty- tyrannical government is another thing that I see right. people from all different faith backgrounds, especially, um, Catholics and evangelicals, like kind of coming down, well, not all Catholics, but I do know, depending on the priests, like I have friends whose kids go to a Catholic school and they're like, our, our priest is super against all this COVID stuff. He's, he's really, he's for freedom and parent choice and, and all these things. Um, and I think that it has introduced, you know, a lot of, uh, opportunities, I guess, for people to kind of unite on more than they divide on or, you know, seek to find common grounds. Like, okay, yeah, we're all, we're on the same page. Oh, we're, we're conservatives. We're all conservatives. Great. Like we're on the same team, but it's very, it's a very fine line. Like you're describing to partner on public policy issues to then saying, we're all God's children. We're all going to heaven. We're all on the same, you know, that's, that's a different thing. And that is a hard thing to hold the line there because, um, and I think just really requires faithfulness ultimately to God over man and to God over even politics, you know, and even right politics. Like, you know, I might think I have the right answer, but if I'm willing to change the definition of what saves me and the gospel, Mm -hmm. and then I'm, I am really in error. I mean, that's, that's too far. Like that's out of bounds of what I am able to, like you said, link arms with people on and, and I don't think it's wrong. Like you said, I think it's, it's encouraging to hear that, okay, there could be public policy issues that we do fight, um, on the same side with people on, but, but going too far into saying like, let's just all, let's just kind of forget about our differences. I mean, what, how is that going to uphold the truth and the word of God? I mean, it's obviously not. Yeah. And, and along with that too, is that, you know, you say you get into fellowship with these people and say you're waging this cultural war. Well, if you just presume that because they say I'm a Christian or I go to church that they're, that they're all set, mm-hmm. well, then you've lost opportunity to, to share with them the gospel. You lose your evangelism. It dulls your witness. And now maybe you win this temporal earthly yeah. victory, but you've lost the heavenly eternal battle. And now you won't see them in heaven because you failed to to keep your charge to preach the gospel to them. So, mm-hmm. you know, it it is really muddy, and you and there there is a, a fine line at a certain point where, where you cross over into this other realm. Mm-hmm. But again, I think words matter, and there is nothing wrong with saying, "Look, I'm with you in terms mm-hmm. of conservative or in terms of you know, you know what what we believe is the right thing to do. That's fine. But the bottom line is that the gospel is still the gospel. And uh, it doesn't ever mm-hmm. change. And we have yeah. to make sure that we uphold that. And that's, again, what R.C. was trying to do for his entire life. Yeah. And I also think like we miss a really, like, honestly, a golden apple opportunity to to share the gospel in that context. Like, like you said, to say, look, we're on the same page, but here's where I know that we are, that we differ. And that's right. let me tell you how I, how I interpret, you know, scripture. And, and for a lot of people, it's, it's honestly a lack of even just straight up knowledge of the Bible. Like they've never even read it, you know, mm-hmm. uh, and 
they don't know, they don't know what they don't know. And so honestly, like that's a great opportunity to share and to keep the door open and not to demand compliance with your view right away, but to say like, this is what I stand on. And I, I don't move from this line. Like, this is what I really believe the, the Bible is saying. And, um, let's look at it together. You know, I mean, why not invite someone into that versus just saying like, pretending like we're all on the same page if we're not, I, mm-hmm. yeah, that's right. but that's because yeah. it's, it's harder. My final sponsor of today is Cornerstone Curriculum. Now is the time to start thinking about curriculum for this fall. And this sponsor is going to make your decisions around what you teach your children in regards to biblical worldview incredibly simple. I completed their four-year program, Worldviews of the Western World, in high school, and they have many other resources available for students of all ages. This is not only for homeschool families, although it is perfect if you do homeschool. Um, Even if your kids are in a private or a public school, they have resources for you. They have a Answers for Difficult Days Bible Study, Starting Points Worldviews Primer, video series, so much more. Check out their website at cornerstonecurriculum.com and be sure to use the coupon code KINDLED for 5% off. That's KINDLED for 5% off and visit their website at cornerstonecurriculum.com. Saving the best for last. Um, I think that one of the things that, you know, uh, those who are not reformed really have a hard time with R.C. Sproul on is his um, clinging to you know, and, and arguing for reform doctrines like predestination. And that is really the most controversial, um, still today, it seems. And, um, you know, I have a lot of followers I know, and people who listen to this podcast who would say they are not Calvinist. They do not adhere to Tulip. They listen because they like, you know, hearing the content that I share and they, they agree with me politically on a lot of things, but they really find this, a difficult doctrine to swallow. And, um, I recently had someone bring up, um, a verse even, which I'll share with you in a second. Uh, if I have it right, is it first Peter? Nope. It's not that it might be second Peter one Oh, it's the one where it says God will like, God does not second Peter chapter three, verse nine. Okay. There you go. Second Peter three, nine. Yeah. And I'll, let me pull it up here. I'm old school. I don't use, uh, devices for everything you know yeah that's fine so the uh, second peter 3 9 the lord is not slow about his promise as some count slowness but slowness but is patient toward you not wishing for any to perish but for all to come to repentance people will read that verse and they'll say well see there you go god desires all people mm-hmm. to be saved and he doesn't want anybody to perish okay so you follow that to its logical conclusion what is that saying if you believe that this is saying that God doesn't want anybody to perish and that he wants all people to come to repentance and you're using this verse uh, as a proof text for a free will position, then what you're doing is you're arguing for universalism. You're saying that because God doesn't desire any to perish, and he wants all to come to, to repentance, then that's going to be his, his will. But if you study the context, if you actually just, and I would even encourage your, your listeners, grab your Bible, open it up read second Peter and you see when it says here, God is patient toward you, not wishing any for, for any to perish. Well, who's the you? Well, the you is the church, the you is believers. So Peter is writing to the believers in the dispersion. Mm-hmm. And he's saying that God is patient toward you, mm-hmm. that all believers who are going to be saved, God will not just plow through and keep on going. He's patient and he's going to bring in who the elect are. They're going to come to repentance. They're going to come to faith. Not a single one's going to perish, 
This is actually about the perseverance of the saints, believe it or not. So I don't believe this is a fair proof text for a free will position Mm -hmm. simply because the context dictates otherwise. And what we understand about the will of God is different too, uh, that God has a will, that he he has a desire. He has what is known as a permissive will where there are things that happen. It's not God's will that you sin, but he doesn't force you to not sin. It's, mm-hmm. it's a, it's a, a will that, that it's his desire. It's his, 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 uh, his heart for you, but it's not a, a mandated thing mm-hmm. versus a, a decretive will, which is, you know, that God created the heavens and the earth. You can't frustrate that. So I think people get those, those confused a little bit and, uh, and they use all kinds of texts to do it. But the big picture on reformed theology is this, and actually, um, I would encourage your listener, R.C. wrote a book called What is Reformed Theology? Uh, mm-hmm. Came out a number of years ago from Baker Publishing. What is Reformed Theology? Great book. I'm teaching a group of men through that right now. And the big idea with Reformed Theology is that it's a, it's a, a theology that is focused on God. Uh, it is God's will, God's way, that God is the one who saves sinners. And I'll, just I'll share with you, um, when I first learned about Reformed Theology, and someone explained the two, Reformed theology versus a free will or an Arminian theology, uh, I immediately said, well, I don't, I don't like that one. I, I don't like that I don't get to choose to be mm-hmm. saved. It's, it's up to me. And they gave me some proof texts, and I, I went to the Bible for the sole purpose of disproving Reformed theology. I wanted mm-hmm. to undo it. I'd never read Calvin before, none of that stuff. I went to Ephesians chapter 1, and I studied it out. I faithfully studied it out. Because I, I didn't believe that what the Bible said about predestination, about election, was what they were telling me it said. Mm-hmm. And so I just did Bible study and worked through that. And at the end of Ephesians 1, I says, this, this, there's no other way to understand this. Wow. You go to Ephesians chapter 2, for by grace you've been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, it's the gift of God. It's not a result of works that anyone can boast. So, so this isn't even about me. This is about God bestowing grace and saving people even though we're dead in our trespasses and sins right in the same way that a baby doesn't choose to be born a a sinner doesn't choose to be reborn god Mm -hmm. is the one who saves us i mean even on in terms of limited atonement uh, john 10 convinced me of that so i personally didn't get my reformed theology from reading the reformers i i got it from from the bible Mm -hmm. and that's what rc does he argues from the scriptures and from uh you know even just church history um, that this is actually a, a theology that is built on the character and on the will of God. Uh, you read his book, The Holiness of God, talks about the character and nature of God. He immediately follows that up with the book called Chosen by God. That's probably one of the best treatises on this issue for people who are trying to iron it out. So I would say if your listeners are curious about this, um, I think people get really exercised and really upset and really challenged by it. But do the do the homework, do the research, you know, go to the passages that, you know, are in question, study them faithfully, Uh, read the opposing argument, read R.C.'s book and 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 wrangle with it yourself. You know, Mm -hmm. don't take someone else's word for it. Oh, that's just garbage. No, do the work, do the study. And and in the end, what what understanding of salvation gives God the most glory? Yeah. And if I can't take credit for my salvation and it's only by God's grace that I'm saved through faith alone. Uh, I can't brag about any of that. So mm-hmm. it is, it is a, an understanding of the scriptures that sees God as glorified. And uh, yeah, I mean, it's, it changed my life. And, mm-hmm. and I think writing this book on RC uh, just further deepened those convictions. And it was probably the single greatest project I've ever done to, to this point. 
uh, RC was an amazing guy and he really, uh, he helped me to really nail down what I believe about salvation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I hope that's yeah. helpful or not. Oh, so yeah. So helpful. I know that it's, it's a, it's a huge topic and, you know, people have written entire works on it, but I think that, yeah, again, um, just encouraging people to go to the scriptures, read it for yourself. And like you said, it's so important. Context is key and mm-hmm. scripture interprets scripture. So That's right. you don't just get to take that scripture out and say, what does this mean to me? It does. Right. I don't care. It doesn't matter what it means to you. Like, what does it right. mean? And so, yeah, I think that's really encouraging for people to hear. Um, so one other, you know, I guess the final question that I had for you is after studying his life and writing this book, you know, he obviously is a man that had such profound impact on so many, and he had such widespread influence. I know that we didn't even get, get into topics that he was influential in the founding of prison fellowship and in his teaching was uh, right. Was that correct? He worked with Chuck Colson. That was Chuck Colson's ministry, but I mean, they were really good friends and he helped, yeah. he helped found that ministry. Sure. Right. And then like influential and in even Johnny Erickson Tata's faith and life, his teaching mm-hmm. was um, impactful mm-hmm. for her. So many others, yeah. but I'm curious from your perspective as someone who really studied his, his life and his work, is there one thing that you saw that, you know, um, was indicative of the impact that he had on the lives of others? Like what was it that made him, you know, unique or, uh, you know, so, um, different perhaps than like the average, you know, man that spends his life doing ministry. There's a lot of people that, that, you know, spent, give their lives for, um, for, for ministering to others and for the gospel. But, um, what was it about him that was so different? RC, um, I would say that the biggest thing that he was pushing for, and uh, even if you were to hear him talk about theology, he was fascinated with the theology of God, theology proper, the study of God, the attributes of God, the person of God, the will of God. Um, and RC, I mean, he just wanted to know, wanted people to know God. That's why he wrote The Holiness of God. This is far away his most popular book. Um, but I think that was the big idea. And if you understand that God is holy and that we're not holy, if those two key truths, that God is holy and we are not, then that changes everything about your relationship to God. That informs your reformed theology, that informs your understanding of scripture, your understanding of the glory of God, the gospel itself. So R.C. gave his life to helping people understand the character, the holiness, the person of God, and um, to speculate I think if he were to complete his life and know that, that that we're better off knowing God personally, I think that would have made him pretty happy. Um, but over and over again, that was the major theme is understanding God. And I think even in terms of R.C.'s passion, I mean, I would even for people who are interested in getting into his stuff more than just his books, if you get a chance to go on, you can go on the Ligonier website and find his lectures on the holiness of God. Uh, they're back from the from the early 80s. And so he looks, you know, very much so like he's younger. But his lectures on that, I mean, they're just awe inspiring, not just the content, but the way in which he's teaching. He had such a, a, a tangible passion for God and for the things of God and, and God's holiness just transfixed him. And I think that was really the key thing with RC is helping us to know God better. And if we know him better, we can worship him rightly. And then we understand the whole, the whole faith in light of that truth. So yeah, the person of God, hands down. He, he obviously was so captivated by, and, and two, some of the quotes that you shared in 
the book, like he was captivated himself and, and enraptured by the forgiveness and love of God. I mean, that seemed mm-hmm. to really be such a huge thing in his own life, which people can read, you know, his conversion story in your book and, um, and how, I mean, he was kind of an unlikely convert. Like he had been raised in this Christian home his whole life, but then like went off to college and really it wasn't a true faith for him and, mm-hmm. um, and encountered so much, so much opposition to that afterwards that, um, really, yeah, without having, uh, a, a very strong object of his faith, you know, there was so many opportunities for him to be deterred away from that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, his example, I just think is so encouraging for, for many of us that seeing God first and greatest and being, being motivated and being, um, you know, our love for others coming from a love for God versus the other way around, I think even, even gets into uh, what we were talking about with predestination and kind of a God first theology versus a man first theology. And how do we make sure man is taken care of in, in our belief system or in our interpretation of scripture, but viewing everything in light and, and through the lens, like we started out talking about of the holiness of God, you know, the greatness of God, and then where do we fit into that picture? And when you start from there, I mean, you, who are you, oh man, to, to question God? Like, that's really where I find myself every time those questions come up is like, who am I the, who am I to be, you know, throwing rocks in a sense at this great, um, truth that has been given to me and revealed to me. Like I, I, you know, I don't think that it produces a, a pride, but a great humility and a great, desire to share the truth with others and, and to share the gospel, which I guess explains, um, his life. So yeah, yeah thank you so much for your time. And, um, if you, you know, what would be the, your final encouragement to, to those listening, um, to dip their toe in the water of learning more about Sproul? I know he's written, you know, a lot of books, but is there a one of place books. you recommend them starting? I would say start with the holiness of God. Uh, that would be a good start. And then uh, chosen by God to kind of dip your toe into to that issue. Uh, what is Reformed Theology would be another book. And then I would even say another book to read would be a book called Faith Alone. That's mm-hmm. when he gets into the old ECT debate and really talks about the heart of the gospel. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a fantastic book. I love that book. So those are probably four titles that will help you get off the ground. Cool. And then just go to Ligonier website. Just go check out all their stuff. And they've got just a bevy of riches at that website for his teaching and, and the teaching fellows of that ministry. Awesome. Well, thanks again so much, Nate. Where can people uh, find your work online or follow you? Uh, social yeah, media, on, anything like that? Yeah, I'm on uh, Facebook, Twitter. I'm kind of on a Twitter hiatus at the moment. I've been getting yeah. onto other stuff like uh, Getter and Gab, and I'm everywhere. But uh, yeah, you can find me pretty easily. You're not too hard okay. to find. Perfect. Well, thanks again for your time today. It was thank really uh, encouraging to hear more about the life of Sproul. So thank you. Absolutely. All right, guys, that's all I have for you today. So uh, if you're inside Firestarters, I'll see you on Friday in the Locals app. If not, I will catch you right back here on Monday. Have a great week.